mystery virus from China. The variation of the coronavirus. Wall Street's worst day in more than a decade. Father and son accused of chasing and gunning down an unarmed black man. The two largest blazes in Colorado's history. Oh my God. Forcing the evacuations of thousands. That storm system that's causing so many problems in Texas. No end in sight. More than 500 fires burning out of control across California. Good morning, FCF Church. We are in a series called What's Going On? And I started off by saying this past year or so has brought a lot of us to that place where we're just asking ourselves, what is going on? It just seems like all of our lives have been torn up in pieces, tossed in the air, and it's just floating down, and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to any of it. Not just the global pandemic, although that's enough, but we've seen social upheaval, we've seen political upheaval, we've seen relational upheaval, vocational job changes, job losses, we've seen economic upheaval, we've seen racial upheaval. It, it has been a year where everything that we once thought to be stable seems to be no longer stable, no longer to be counted on at all. And it, and it brings us many times where we say, it just looks like everything is going crazy. What is going on? And I felt the Lord wanted me to deliver this, this series of messages because He has told us in His Word exactly what's going on. He wants us to understand what's going on because if we understand what's going on, we are going to be able to stand what's going on. So I started off last week, and each week we'll look at a portion of Scripture, the same one. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Again, this was written by the Apostle Paul toward the very end of his life. He was preparing to be killed by Nero. He knew it. He knew his execution was coming. He was writing his last words, led by the Spirit of God to his partner for 22 years, Timothy. After 32 years of faithfully serving Christ, Paul's ministry was about to end. And he starts off by saying these words in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, in the last days there will be terrible times. Now I'm going to stop there for a minute and say what I said last week. Well, last days, some of you are no doubt thinking, well, Randy, sometimes the Scripture says the last days are just the days when Jesus arrived. And that is true. For example, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. It says, in these last days God has spoken to us through His Son, goes on to say about how Jesus created the whole universe. But the last days, it's used sometimes of God's progressive revelation of Himself, starting with the founding of the nation of Israel, God keeping records through the nation of Israel, revealing Himself progressively to Israel and through Israel to the world. But it culminated, it ended, God's full revelation of Himself. He pulled back all the curtains and made Himself known to the universe in a way that no angel even had ever known Him before in Christ, in Christ's life, His ministry, His miracles, but particularly in His sacrificial death and then His resurrection. So those last days are finished. When the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, was completed in A.D. 96, those last days were finished. But then all through the Old Testament and all through the New Testament as well, it talks about the last days in the context of that time just before the return of Christ. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 24, the whole 24th chapter. He gave multiple signs of what was going to be going on in the world prior to His return. But in chapter 24, verse 8, He says, it will be kind of like the beginning of a woman's birth pains. There, there's the start, and then it increases in intensity. 
This same term is used by Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. And it's talking about the beginning of that period of time just prior to the return of Christ, maybe just seven years prior, maybe a little even before that, where everything reaches a different stage. And what I said in the first message is this. We have reached, we have reached a stage in human history where we have reached a tipping point. And I gave you an illustration with a scale. And I said, you know, picture that, you know, I had a one pound, scale, uh, one pound weight on one side of a scale and a hollow uh, fishbowl on the other side of the scale. But then gradually, somebody was pouring sand, just tiny little grains of sand that are almost weightless by themselves. But you just keep pouring those grains of sand, and all of a sudden, it starts to change. The weight starts to change, and that goldfish bowl is finally able to hold more weight than the one pound, and then it reaches what I'm calling a tipping point. And all of a sudden, the goldfish bowl now is, as it were, in control. The tipping point, it's equal for a short time, but then it tips. We have reached a tipping point in human history. This passage of Scripture was talking about 2,000 years in advance, which ought to give us great confidence in Christ, great clarity about where we're at today, and great courage to live in the times we're at. We have reached that tipping point. Randy, are you saying that we're, we're in the last seven years of human history? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not not saying that either. I don't feel like necessarily we are. I am saying, as clearly as I know how to, we have absolutely reached a tipping point in human history. Some of you are saying, well, Randy, how do you know this? There's a graph that I hope will go up on the screen. I shared this last week, but I'll share it again. But in this graph, if you look at the population development through all human history, they estimate about 108 billion people have ever lived and died on planet Earth. <clears throat> but if you look at population growth, we did not, if you take all of recorded human history, we did not even reach the one billion mark until between 1800 and 1850. But now if you were looking at that graph, it goes along rather level, but then from 18 to 1850, it just shoots straight up. We are now at 7.8 billion, almost 8 billion people. The population is reaching exponential, explosive levels of development. Likewise, likewise, through most of human history, you could look at a level line in the way that people lived. We are the only generation that has had all the technology, all the electricity, all the automotion, uh, automation. So 95 to 97 percent of the 108 billion people that ever lived on the earth, they never had even electricity much less the other technology we have. Now, simultaneously, all these things are converging. We're seeing the population explosion. We're seeing the knowledge explosion. And what this has done, we are the first generation ever on the planet that is taught around the clock. Messages come to us through screens, through radio, through, through multiple means. We are the only generation. Most of the people that ever lived and died, they only knew what was happening in, in their own house. Maybe, maybe the village or so, but that was pretty much it. We are bombarded. We are being taught. We are being propagandized like no other generation. We are being prepared for what the Scripture calls is the great deception which is to come. If you're wondering about the great deception, I did a whole teaching on it in one of our Bible Institutes. You can go online and look up Bible Institutes, Great Deception, and you can see that. All right. So I want to start today's message by asking a question. How much are you 
worth? How much is a human being worth? I'm going to put some faces up. I hope they'll show up there, some familiar faces. Uh, you should be seeing people like Elon Musk and, you know, Bill Gates and, and some others. And some of them you will recognize, some you will not. But, but if the question were asked, how much are they worth? Well, some of us might know, and we might quickly say, well, Elon Musk recently went to the top of the list. He's worth $200 billion, you know. And then I, I, I put another face on there that I, I hope no one recognized because it's just a face in the crowd. It's me, it's you, it's anyone. And the question is, is how much are they worth? You've probably heard this question uh, asked before. How much is that guy worth or how much is that woman worth? Well, it all depends on whose opinion or whose point of view you want to know. If you look to others, if you look to human beings to derive your sense of worth, if I look to human beings, if I look to other people to derive my sense of worth, I'm going to come up with a very different valuation of myself than if I look to my Creator, if I look to Christ, my Creator, and receive from Him what He says is my worth. So I want to start off today's message by reading the rest of that portion of Scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to dig into the text a little bit more. And so here we go. It says, But know this, in the last days there will be terrible times. For people will be lovers of themselves. We dealt with that last week. Utter self-absorption. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Now listen carefully. Here's where we're digging in today. Boastful, arrogant, blasphemous, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, not able to reconcile with others, slanderous. We're going to deal with boastful, arrogant, and slanderous. You'll see the connection in a minute. Without self-control, savage, haters of what is good, treacherous, reckless, puffed up with conceit. We'll include that. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to an outward form of godliness but denying its power. Turn away from such people. Verse 2, boastful and arrogant. Verse 3, slanderous. Verse 4, conceited. That's the things we're going to focus in on today. So what happens, what happens to people, what happens to, to a society when we are trying to prove our worth, trying to prove our value? Well, here's what happens. Right now, they estimate that 85% of the people in the world, 85%, at least in the Western world, I should have said that, 85% suffer from low self-esteem. Let that sink in for a minute. That, that, that's eight out of ten. It's almost eight, you know, eight and a half, almost nine out of ten people that you and I ever will meet are suffering from low self-esteem. They feel their worth is at least questionable, and they are troubled by this. Why is this so? Well, I think you're going to see it's because we haven't avoided a certain path to try to derive our worth. And I want to help you to do this, to, to avoid this unnecessary path because it just leads to hurt. If you or I, knowingly or unknowingly, look to others to discover what our worth is, it will absolutely lead to hurt. But it's avoidable. It's unnecessary. We don't have to do that. Now, you might say, but Randy, you know, what about Christians? You know, do you think Christians, 85% of Christians struggle with low self-esteem? Yes, I do. That, that's been my experience through the years. And, and it's completely, completely, completely unnecessary. So I, I hope we can find from this message today 
uh, at least some keys, uh, some, some turning points if we struggle with this ourselves. Chances are most of us do on some level. So the first thing that happens if I look to others, knowingly or unknowing, or you look to others to derive my sense of worth, is this. I experience uncertainty, okay? I, I, I'm never quite certain where I stand. Uh, it, it all depends on people's opinions of me. It, it changes. James 3.16 says this. It says, wherever you, there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Romans 3.16 says that ruin and misery are in their paths and the way of peace they have not known. If I am competing with other human beings to derive my sense of worth, knowingly or unknowingly, this is what happens. I experience jealousy. I become selfishly ambitious. It creates all kinds of disorder and other symptoms of evil in my life, and it makes me miserable. It causes me to go down paths that there's no peace to be found. So the first thing, if, if I'm looking to others, if you right now, you just need to stop for a second. If you say to yourself, if only, and if, then you can fill in, if only my boss appreciated what I did. If only my spouse would say this or say that or not say this or not say that. If only my children or if only. If you've got an if only, then you are knowingly or unknowingly looking to others to affirm or establish your personal worth. And it's going to be uncertain. There's going to be times that, that you feel certain about it based on the way people treat you and times you're not. The second thing it produces is this. In fact, let, let, before I go on, let, let me add this. Let, let, me, let me read you some of the typical arbitrary standards that your worth and my worth are determined by others based on. It's based on the ever-changing standards such as this. Appearance, uh, you know, if people find you attractive. Intelligence, talent, achievements or failures. You know, if you have achievements, people might consider your worth high. If you have failures, you, all of a sudden your worth is not high. Uh, you might be judged based on uh, your popularity or your power or your possessions, your wealth. These are things that other people look at typically and have throughout history to determine a person's wealth. Let me read them a little more fluently. Appearance, intelligence, talent, achievements or failures, popularity, power, and possessions. Now let me just show you how uncertain and how untrustworthy these, these are as basis uh, or as a basis or standard to, to determine a person's wealth. Let's just pretend that I am a hunter-gatherer living in a, one of these Stone Age tribes in the Amazon, okay? So untouched by society, but I'm a really good hunter, man. I'm, I'm, everybody in my tribe knows Randy is, is the guy with the blowgun. He, he's a great hunter. All of a sudden, I have great worth in that culture, in that tribe. But if you take me out of that culture and bring me into you know, some high-tech place, well, I suddenly have no value at all because I don't understand anything going on around me. So I go from being very, looked upon as very valuable to being of no value whatsoever. Let's, let's reverse this. Let's say I'm, I'm a high-tech guy. I'm a, I'm a tech wizard. People are just throwing money at me. I, I'm so popular. So in this country, in this realm, I'm considered of great worth. But now you take me to that 
Amazonian culture, that Stone Age Amazonian tribal culture, and suddenly I have no worth whatsoever. I don't know how to hunt with a blowgun. I, I don't know how to survive without electricity. So you see how this is just so uncertain. There's an arbitrary element to this issue when we look to others at establishing our value or our worth. And the uncertainty brings insecurity, and insecurity is tormenting because you and I were created by Christ and for Him and for a world where there was no such thing as ever feeling insecure or uncertain. Uncertainty about our value brings insecurity into our emotional status, and that's a torturous thing to live with. Now, ironically, the next thing that the insecurity brings is grandiosity. You say, grandiosity? If people have 85% have low self-esteem, why would they have problems with grandiosity? Remember what we read in our text, that one of the symptoms of these perilous last days is people will become boastful, verse, verse 2, arrogant, verse 2, slanders, verse 3, conceited, verse 4. Grandiosity, why? Why would people that are struggling... <laughs> This is really kind of ironic. This is why we're so crazy, folks. Why would we creatures that struggle with our worth, 85% of us have low self-esteem, why would we be arrogant and boastful and conceited? Well, some of you already know the answer to that. We are trying to convince ourselves as well as others of our worth and we'll literally trick ourselves. We, we are in this competition. We don't say it, it's not spoken, but we are in this competition with every other human being about who's worth more. If, if they're looking like people are treating them as of more value than us, then we feel, we feel jealous, we feel hurt. We've gotta get ourselves back in the game. So what do we do? We try desperately to find some realm where we're good at something or where we compare favorably to others by the way, that's where the slander comes in. We start cutting other people down. We start trying to find every failure they have, every flaw they have, every weakness they have. We maximize their, their weaknesses while we maximize whatever strengths we think that we have. But we become grandiose. We, we boast, we brag, we're arrogant, we're conceited. Why? It's pathetic, folks. It's pathetic. We all know it. We are so insecure about our value and worth, and we are trying desperately to convince other people, listen to me, we're yelling, please value me. Do you see me? And we're also trying to convince ourselves, which is a much harder person to convince. Trying to convince oneself of one's own value, authentic value, is impossible is impossible when I am knowingly or unknowingly looking to others as the basis to establish my value. So it produces uncertainty, which then produces insecurity, grandiosity. I start boasting, bragging, trying to convince myself that I'm all that when I'm not. And then it produces hostility. We are living at a time of of societal hostility. People are on edge. People are angry. People are ready to take issue with any word you say. Almost anything you say is suspect to be put under the, the scrutiny and the worst possible construction. How did we get here? Remember the tipping point. 
this, this, this teaching that's been going on, that's been stirring us up, stirring us up, stirring us up for a long generation. Now, now those grains of sand have reached that tipping point, and so now we live in a society that is hostile, where people are angry, where people are on edge, where people are ready to take issue with anything, where being misunderstood is almost a guarantee if you happen to take the risk of speaking very much. Hostility. Listen to the way the Spirit of God talks about this in the book of Titus. This was Paul writing to Titus, another servant of Christ. He says in chapter 3, verse 3 of Titus, For at one time we ourselves were also foolish. He's talking about his pre-we, before we were Christ followers, before we trusted in Christ. For at one time we ourselves were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by many kinds of evil desires and pleasures, living in malice. Malice is, is ill will. I, I don't want to see good things happen to you. I don't want to see you praised. I don't want to see you succeed. I want to see bad things happen to you. Living in malice, it says, and jealousy. I'm jealous of you because I'm struggling to, to prove my worth. And if people are giving you more attention, throwing more money at you, more praise at you, whatever it might be, then I start feeling less valuable. We were living in malice and jealousy, being hated and hating one another. Th this is the state that has reached the tipping point today. We are living in a hostile society because we're all competing for worth. We're all competing for value. It's not spoken. It's not understood. But it's definitely a driving force. So I am pleading with you, avoid this unnecessary path to hurt looking to others for your value. If you don't hear anything else in this message today, make up your mind today. This is going to be the first day in your life. I am never, ever, ever again going to look to other people to determine my worth as a human being. By the way, that's easier said than done. Now, the second part of this message is the positive part. What I want all of us to do is to seize the necessary path to health. There's only one path to mental, emotional health and maturity. If, if, we, if, we, if we understand this path, we've got to grab it. We've got to hold on to it. Seize the necessary path to health, and that is looking to God. Looking to others, it's going to bring unnecessary hurt. If I look to God to find out my worth, it brings absolute health to my life. The, the first thing it brings is it contrasts the uncertainty of looking with others. When I look to God for my worth as a being, a human being, I receive certainty. This is, this is a critical component. We're, we're going to look at it pretty, pretty thoroughly. In the book of Colossians in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, once again, writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Colossae, in chapter 1, verse 15, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in a son. I've said this earlier. God has revealed himself now comprehensively to the entire universe in the humanity of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus' humanity actually allowed God to express things about himself, particularly Jesus' loving life, sacrificial death and resurrection that God could never express about his persona before. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son. Verse 16, for all things in heaven and on earth were created in him or by him. Christ is clearly covered to cover in the Bible, the creator of the universe, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by him. John 1.14, the Word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us. Christ is the creator of the universe. Verse 16 again, it says, 
all things, for all things in heaven and on earth were created in him or by him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or power, all things were created through him. And, and this, last, this last part is critical, for him. For him. Folks, this is, this is the, the bedrock. This is the foundation of human worth. If you are a human being, you were created by Christ and you were created for Christ and that is where your and my value is to be found. Our worth is to be found. We can even add to that. Not only did Christ create us for himself, but he then sacrificially gave himself to draw us back in trust, to bring us back to himself after we had gone astray. Once again, establishes our value beyond any shadow of a doubt. Listen, what, what, makes, what makes, when you have a baby, when you, when you have a brand newborn baby, what, what makes that baby valuable? Can that baby uh, sing songs that cause people to buy records? Can that baby, you know, teach philosophy classes? Can that baby, you know, do engineering? Uh, I mean, you know and I know the baby can't do anything. What makes it valuable? Because it's yours, but that's not all. That's not all. L listen carefully. Value, value of life is dependent upon sophistication of life or the potential of the life form to experience life. You said, Randy, what are you talking about? We are made by Christ and for Christ, made in the image of God, it says in Genesis 1. Therefore, you and I have the God-given capacities to experience life on the level that God himself does, and that is why Humanity, human beings are worth so very, very much. Listen, mosquitoes, flies, fleas, dogs, cats, baboons, giraffes, they all experience life, but they cannot experience life on the level that a human being does. God gave the greatest gift that could be given. He gave the weak human beings the ability to experience life the way he himself does. That makes us valuable. No one no one can take that away. It has nothing to do with what I achieve. It has nothing to do with how I look. It has nothing to do with my talent. It has nothing to do with people's opinions of me. It has nothing to do with my failures or successes. None of that. None of that has anything. You, some of you got to hear this. That has nothing to do with your value or your worth as a human being. Not the opinions of your family, not the opinions of your friends, not your popularity on, on Facebook. God knows that's got nothing to do with your worth as a human being. It is simply this. Christ, the creator of the universe, created you in his own image with the capacity to experience life like he himself does for himself. Just like that baby that you had is yours. You are made for Christ. He loves you. You are of intrinsic worth. Now, now let, let, me, let me talk to you a little bit about intrinsic worth. You, you see, if I look to others, if I, if I look to people to find out what my worth is, they will give what I, what I want to explain to you is extrinsic worth. You know what I mean? If I'm in the Amazon and, and I'm a good hunter-gatherer, I'm worth a lot. Take my hunter-gatherer self and put me in California in tech world, I'm not worth anything. If I'm in tech world and I'm a wizard and I'm worth a lot, take me, put me in the Amazon, I'm not worth anything. It's because the worth is extrinsic. It's based on, you know, the way society sees you in a given context. 
but there is something called intrinsic value. Intrinsic value is what you have as a human being. That means no one can take it away. Nothing changes it. No circumstance changes it. Let me give you an example the difference between extrinsic value and intrinsic value. If, if I were to set before you uh, five suitcases, big suitcases, full of gold, full of gold, uh, it would be worth, I suppose, you know, millions, maybe billions of dollars, who knows? You would be thrilled probably, okay? But if I gave you those suitcases full of billions of gold, but then I took you in the midst of the Sahara Desert, and I left you there, I left you there in the Sahara Desert with all your gold, with the promise that I will come back in seven days and, and pick you up. But on the fourth day, let me tell you something about yourself. You have no water. Oh, I left that part out. You have gold. You, you, have, you have suitcases full of gold, but you have no water. And a third day has now gone by, and it's the fourth day. Let me tell you what you know and I know. You will give all the gold that you have. You will give it all for a glass full of water. Why? Why? Because the gold has extrinsic value. It, it's only valuable based on what a society at a given time in history determines it. It has no intrinsic value. You can't, you can't drink the gold. <laughs> you can't eat it either. But water has intrinsic value. The water is valuable in and of itself. It doesn't matter what time in history. It doesn't matter what place in history. Every human being has to have that water. It is intrinsically. Listen, you are intrinsically valuable. No one, nor anything, can take that value away. So we, we have certainty to counter the uncertainty of letting other people establish our value. When we look to God, we have certainty, and that brings security, whereas looking to people, we are always insecure. First John 4, 10, it says, This is real love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. We have certainty. We have security. And that brings, instead of grandiosity, when I'm trying to establish my worth, it brings humility. I, I don't have to establish my worth. I don't have to compete with you. I, I'm, I know who I am. It's, it's, I don't deserve any of this. It's just the way that, that God made me because he made me for himself. Humility, Philippians 2, 3, it says, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourselves. When I have certainty about my value, then I have security, and that security brings me humility. I, I don't have to prove anything anymore, not to you, not to me, not to anyone. I can, I can be calm and realistic about myself. And that brings the last feature, tranquility. So that first cycle, it brings uncertainty, insecurity, grandiosity, hostility. The other cycle, when we look to God, it brings certainty, security, humility, and then tranquility. I'm at peace. I'm at rest. I'm not in this constant struggle, this turbulence inside to establish my wealth. I'm not up one day because somebody praised me and down the next second because somebody didn't. This is a ridiculous way to live, folks, particularly for Christ followers. And yet you know and I know that that is so. Now, there's a reason for this, and I want to I backtrack a little bit. You and I must never, never depend upon societal standards or opinions or affirmations of others. Let me repeat that. 
If you're, deter if you're depending, if you're basing, uh, if you're depending on your worth based on societal standards or opinions or affirmations of others or your own feelings, then you are not depending upon that which is trustworthy. And it's our feelings. You, you say, Randy, I, I, I know that Christ created me and, and I know that He loved me enough to die for me, so I, I know God has given me worth, but it's my feelings I can't deal with. I, I, just, I just feel so worthless all the time. I struggle with this. I understand what you're saying. I understand. So we have two things here. We have to come to a realization of the truth. The truth is I am made by Christ for Christ. He created me with value for himself. He loves me and wants me, wants me as his own for eternity. He died for me. This proves my worth. No one can take that away. However, society has done a number on me. My, maybe my family did a number on me. Maybe I've let a lot of forces in to have influence. Maybe that teaching mechanism that I said goes on around us all 24-7 now, society's teaching mechanism that other generations never were exposed to has done a number on me. So now my feelings don't match up with what I know is truth. So what we have here is we have a, a truth that has to be followed by a process, which means this. It means each time I start to feel inferior or I start to feel worthless or I start to question my value, I've got to be willing to go to God and say, Lord, I know the truth. I know the truth. Help me to counter these feelings. Help me to counter these misbeliefs with your truth. And you and I may have to do that again and again and again until we overcome. The Scripture talks about Christ followers in the book of Revelation multiple times as those that overcome. And one of the ways we overcome is by having God's truth. It's the word of our testimony. So we have to accept that there's going to be a process here. So seize the necessary path to health. It brings certainty, security, humility, and tranquility. That's when we look to God for our wealth. Second Thessalonians about tranquility, it just starts out, it says, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost every New Testament book that the Apostle Paul wrote, he starts out the way, grace and peace. And those things work together. God is gracious towards us. He just loves us. He just is forgiving. He just wants us to believe it and to know it. And then that brings peace. And that's the, the environment that we can have within us. We'll never have peace. You, listen to me. You will never have peace in your soul if you are knowingly or unknowingly looking to others, looking to society to determine your value. But you can have peace if you look to God and to God alone to determine your value. Now I want to close with an illustration that, that, that's so simple that I hope it will be helpful to each and every one of us forever. We all know the story, you know, the, the Snow White story, and, and you know, there's the, the wicked queen, and she would look into the mirror, and there was this trap spirit in the mirror, and the trap spirit in the mirror always had to tell the truth. And so, you know, the evil queen would look in the mirror, who's the fairest one of all? And the mirror would always say, oh, you, you know, you're the fairest one of all, my queen, until that is, Snow White came on the scene. And then everything changed. No, 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 Snow White is now the fairest one of all. And the evil queen could not deal with it. But here's the thing that I want you to do. Some of you are going to feel like, man, this is so silly. But nevertheless, if you are, you, only you can answer this honestly. 85% of us are struggling with self-worth and self-esteem issues. If you are one, don't be ashamed, be humble, and try to do this little exercise to 
establish your worth beyond a shadow of a doubt. To shout down all the voices that are in your head. That's the problem, isn't it? It's the voices in our head that tell us we're not worth anything. That's why we're always looking to others to affirm us and to validate us and to build us up. But we don't need that. Let, let me go further. If you or I need other people to help us feel our worth, we are not looking to God to establish our worth. If there's anything that can happen to us in life, any loss, any problem, any failure that can shake my worth or your worth, we are not looking to God alone to establish our worth. So we need to go to the magic mirror. And here's what I'm leading up to. If you find yourself in the struggle with self-esteem, which 85% of us evidently do, periodically, maybe for a while every day, you go to your mirror, I mean a real mirror, and you look into that mirror, and you look at yourself. Now, you don't look at, you don't look at anything particular about yourself other than this. When you look in that mirror, you must be able to answer one question. If you can answer that question correctly, no one or anything should ever be able to shake your sense of worth. Here it is. You walk to that mirror, and you look into that mirror, and you simply ask this question, am I human? <laughs> now you say, man, come on, man. No, I'm serious. I'm very serious. Because if you look into that mirror, and if you can determine, yes, of course, I'm human. I can see myself. I'm a human being. Then that means I'm here because Christ from all eternity with a heart full of love wanted me. He wanted me. He brought me into existence. He gave me life. He sacrificed himself on the cross to demonstrate his love for me. I have worth because Christ created me in his image for himself. He wants me to be with him from all eternity. No one or anything, I don't have to run any faster, jump any higher. I don't have to prove anything to myself. I don't have to prove anything to anybody else. But I must shout down the voices in my brain. I am responsible for that. You're not responsible for that. No one else is responsible for that. I am, you are responsible for that, and we have the bedrock of God's truth. And if a simple little exercise like going to that mirror can help this to sort of work its way deep into our soul, then so be it. Every day when we, when we look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I am a human being made by Christ, made for Christ, and he values me so much he sacrificed himself for me. That's my worth. No one or anything can take it. No one or anything will ever be allowed to shake it again. I don't need anything else. I don't want anything else. If I get any affirmation, that's icing on the cake, but I don't need it because I know the truth. I know the truth and it sets me free. I am a human being made by Christ in his image for himself. And he alone is the only one that has the last word on what a true human's worth is. 
you got to settle that in your soul. That, 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 that'll, bring, that'll bring certainty, that'll bring security, that'll bring humility, and that'll bring peace. But if you knowingly or unknowingly find that you're looking to others to validate you, to make you feel affirmed, to make you feel you have value, if you're, if you're asking somebody else or you're looking to some achievement, you are in a trap. Get out of it. Stop it. Stop it because God has something so much better. The one brings uncertainty, insecurity, grandiosity, and hostility, but God's way brings certainty, security, humility, and tranquility. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you've made us um, so fine-tuned inside, uh, so like yourself that when we have these feelings of uh, a loss of worth, a loss of value, it tortures and torments and enrages us all sometimes simultaneously. May your spirit do what only your spirit can do. Only you, Spirit of God, can, can reason with us in such a way that we embrace the truth and refuse to let that truth be taken from our hearts and our minds. May that be the truth this day. May, may, may the Spirit of God move powerfully that, that we who have struggled for maybe uh, years, maybe decades, maybe all of our lives, with this business of self-worth, may, may a breakthrough, a real breakthrough, start in each of our lives this day on a deeper level. I ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.